0: Let's open the scriptures together this morning to 1 Peter. We're going to begin reading at the end of chapter 4, 1 Peter 4, verse 13. And we'll read into chapter 5 through verse 11. Our text is the first four verses of 1 Peter, chapter 5. 1 Peter 4, we'll begin reading at verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. In their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified." Let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof not by constraint but willingly not for filthy lucre but of a ready mind neither as being lords over god's heritage but being in samples or examples to the flock and when the chief shepherd shall appear ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away likewise ye younger submit yourselves unto the elder yea all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. To that point, we read the sacred scriptures. Our text this morning is the first four verses of chapter 5. Let's read them again. The elders which are among you, I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory, that fadeth not away. Beloved of God, the text for the sermon this morning is addressed specifically to office bearers. The elders which are among you, I exhort. The text begins, specifically elders then, but all office bearers. And I'm even going to apply the sermon this morning to potential office bearers who may hold the office in the future. The occasion for this sermon this morning is that the consistory requested that I preach a sermon of encouragement to office bearers who are in the office, not only but especially to those men who are nominated for office at this time of year many of whom are, I'm told, nominated for office for the first time or would hold an office for the first time or at least the particular office that they're nominated for. So this sermon grants that request. But because the text is addressed to office bearers and the sermon fulfills that specific request for encouragement to office bearers and Those who are nominated for office, that doesn't mean that the rest of us may go to sleep this morning. The Apostle Peter did not write this text by inspiration that's addressed to office bearers in a private letter to those elders that he addresses, but instead it was written in such a way that it would be an epistle that was read publicly in the churches over and over again. And similarly, in the exposition of this text this morning, I didn't type out this sermon and hand it to the elders so that they could staple it to the nomination letters that they send out to those who've been nominated for office, but this comes as a public exposition of the public text. Because the whole congregation needs to hear what the work of elders is. The congregation must know how to place a vote for elders. And they know that by knowing what the work of elders is. The congregation must know how to pray for their elders and their deacons, their office bearers, and for a pastor, should the Lord grant that to us. Congregation in her wives must know how to support husbands who are in the office. And all the congregation must know what these offices are and what's required of them so that together we might raise another generation of office bearers in the church to hold these offices one day. And you, young men, you must know what it is to be in these offices. And think about that and pray about that. And be prepared by this word and prepare yourselves someday, should the Lord call you to be in these offices. The church needs godly, hard-working elders and deacons who love the Lord Jesus Christ and who love the flock. Without it, beloved, the church is ravaged. It is destroyed. It is consumed. And there are plenty of churches that are ravaged and destroyed because of a lack of godly elders and deacons. That's why the text comes as an exhortation through the mouth of the Apostle Peter. The elders that are among you, I exhort, I beseech, I admonish to carry out their calling in this way that the church might be Preserved by this means. And the apostle comes with the authority of the apostles. And gives this exhortation as an apostle in an office that has an even greater weight than the office of elder. Peter says, I exhort you. And then at the same time, he says, I come to you also holding an office that's right next to yours. The elders who are among you, I exhort. Who am also an elder? Peter was not only an apostle, he was an elder. The apostles were also elders in the church. And Peter comes also that way, not only as one bringing this exhortation with a greater authority, but also as one who says, I've labored amongst you in this office. I know what this is like. I know what it is to not be able to sleep at night because of the burdens that are upon your mind and heart and soul. But I also... No, the faithfulness of King Jesus to sustain in this office those whom he calls to take it up. So let's receive that word this way and see that office bearers are exhorted to feed the flock. Exhorted to feed the flock. Notice first what that faithful under-shepherd is called to do. That's the first point of the sermon. What is the calling Of a faithful under-shepherd. And second, the humble manner in which it must be carried out. And third, the reward of grace that's granted to faithful office bearers. The Apostle Peter is working here when he explains the calling of elders and by implication all office bearers to a certain extent. He's working with the image of shepherd and sheep. Feed the flock, he says. The congregation is like a flock of sheep, and the elders are to feed them. That's a good translation of the Greek word there. Feed, but it could be a little bit more revealing and sharper if it was translated shepherd to make more clear the image that he's working with. Shepherd the flock. Elders are also shepherds. Of the sheep. That's kind of striking. We're accustomed to speaking of the pastor as a shepherd, an under shepherd under Jesus Christ, but maybe not as often of thinking of the elders as under shepherds of Jesus Christ, shepherding the flock. But they are. That's what they're called here in this text shepherd the flock. A flock of sheep that sometimes is stubborn, foolish, ignorant, rebellious, inexcusably so, but sometimes we can be that way. Sheep who need help, who need leadership, who need encouragement, who need direction, who need rebuke who need comfort, who need warning, who need loving, nurture, and who sometimes don't know that they need all of those things and might even oppose the office bearers who give them those very things. Yet, for all of their weaknesses and all of the sin that remains in them, they are nothing less than the sheep of the great flock That God has Himself gathered for Himself unto Jesus Christ in His love for them. Ezekiel 34, verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Notice there, He doesn't say that they become His sheep after He searches them out and finds them, but rather He's seeking for those who are His sheep already in His eternal decree. From eternity to past, He determined who His sheep would be. And therefore, in time, in His Holy Spirit and through the Word, He seeks out those sheep, and He finds them, and He gathers them into flocks. Congregations. True congregations. And He puts elders over those congregations, those flocks of sheep, and says to those elders, this is the portion of my great flock over which I give you responsibility to shepherd under me. And you flock, I give you these elders and these deacons to care for you. Not other elders, not other deacons, but these, who are to watch for your souls and to shepherd you. And not another flock, elders, although we're in a denomination and we have care for each other and there's also accountability in that way, but most specifically, this flock. Elders and flock together. In spite of weaknesses, in spite of sins, God's doing. Elders and deacons do not put themselves into office, do not put themselves into these positions. But elders are put into these positions by God and called by Him to shepherd the flock over which they have been set and the congregation called to submit themselves to these elders who have been called to shepherd them. In such a way, of course, that God doesn't let go of the sheep, but in such a way that He says part of my holding on to my sheep in this flock is going to be through these men who I set up. The calling of office bearers in the church and chiefly elders is then to shepherd that flock and that means, according to the apostle Peter in this text, two things. That means they are responsible to feed that flock and to take the oversight over that flock. Feed the flock taking the oversight thereof. That's the two aspects of the calling of the shepherds, office bearers in the church. Feed them. Isn't that what a shepherd did in the Bible times? Wasn't that his primary calling to ensure that the flock is fed? That the sheep have grass in pastures and they have water? So too office bearers in the church. The flock must be fed, and they must be fed with one thing in a hundred different ways. The Word of Jehovah God. The whole counsel of God, as that whole counsel of God is centered on the cross and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the bread from heaven, the manna, the bread of life. That Word of God alone will feed the flock Office bearers are sometimes tempted to doubt that and to think that it is their own ingenuity or it is, if I say this just right, it's the Word. I'll never forget in my first charge, I was visiting an older couple who had just had a very difficult situation in their family. And I began with just a little bit of chit chat, which normally you do when you make a pastoral visit. But the, the woman of the couple fairly quickly cut me off and said, what are you going to bring the word to me? I need the word. And I tell you, that was absolutely marvelous. And I needed to even hear that as a young minister. God's people want the Word. They need the Word. And sometimes when they're not in the right frame of mind or their old man has become too big, they don't even realize that. But you know it as an office bearer. They need the Word. And if they were in their right mind, they would want the Word. Bring the Word. Is there any situation that God's people find themselves in that is not addressed in one way or another by the Word of God? It binds up the brokenhearted whom you must visit elders, and deacons. It strengthens the cast down. It calls errant sheep back to the flock. sometimes drives away those who reject that Word in safety for the flock. The Word breaks the hard and rebellious heart. The Word restores those who are captive at the will of the evil one. Just like for sheep in the Bible times. Food and water is a matter of life and death. So this word that office bearers are to ensure is fed to the flock is a matter of life and death. It's that serious. The word. Elders, especially deacons too, ensure that the flock is fed and feed the flock at least in the following four ways. First, by individual visits that they make with members of the church, and family visits that they make with families in the church. Sometimes the elders and even the deacons too can bring the Word in those situations in a more helpful way even than the pastor can. Lord willing, you will have a pastor soon, but it's going to take him time to get to know you as a flock. The elders, for the most part, know you and have known you for many years. And often that puts them in a position where they can bring the Word to you in a very effective way. Apply the Word to you in a way that even the pastor perhaps cannot. They know when to use the staff to gently turn the sheep back to the right path. And they know, oh, in this situation I see, this calls for rod. There's rebellion here. And the rod must be used to break the hard heart and to turn back to the path. At times... Where the hard heart has been hardened for so long. Bring the Word. Times where the burden of guilt is upon the people of God. Though they've confessed their sins and repented genuinely. You bring the Word that exonerates them from that guilt. And you show them the Lord Christ, the lover of their souls. Without fear or favor. You bring the Word. So in those individual visits or family visits, second, office bearers in the church make sure the flock is fed by ensuring that there is a man of God called to bring the Word on the pulpit on the Lord's Day to expound that Word. Probably you don't know sometimes to what lengths elders go to to ensure that there is supply for the pulpit. And I think in our denomination, probably more than most. Flying people from different places for one day just to bring the Word because this is the chief means of grace and the flock needs to be fed. It's a result of theology, convictions, that the Word of God must be expounded because this is what feeds the sheep that He's purchased with His own blood. But then not just ensuring that That word is brought on the Lord's day, but overseeing what comes off of that pulpit. That's the calling of office bearers too, to make sure that this is right doctrine, true doctrine, because false doctrine destroys the sheep. And these sheep are under their care. They are to shepherd this flock and to ensure that false doctrine does not destroy them, does not scatter them. Which is why our Reformed Fathers Ensured that when men come into the office, they sign this document called a formula of subscription. That's not just some strange thought some old crusty Dutchman had. This is love for the flock. Love for the sheep. Because false doctrine destroys the sheep. It's like a cancer. You won't see it at first. It works underneath and eats away but then slowly it comes out, and if not stopped, like cancer, to the destruction of the flock. Third, office bearers, elders especially, ensure that the flock is fed this way, as a very old late 1600s commentator on this passage says, the calling to feed with the word, includes securing the use of sound, reformed reading material and commending it to the flock. Ensuring that in an age where there is this opinion and that opinion everywhere, that sound material is brought to the flock for their reading, cultivating in them a mind fixed by sound doctrine, a heart fixed by sound affections, encouraging them in their Christian duties and callings in the Christian life. Then fourth, the office bearer's calling to ensure that the flock is fed includes ensuring that there are catechism classes and Sunday school classes and Bible studies that take place in the church And faithful people to lead those and themselves doing so sometimes. Sometimes teaching catechism and the like. So that God's people in the flock from the littlest to the oldest are constantly receiving the Word. The Word is their food. They need the Word. The little ones too. In this passage it's obvious that the Apostle Peter has in the back of his mind that situation at the end of the book of John where the Lord Jesus restored him to his office It came to him and repeatedly said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And Peter is just bringing that same admonition to his fellow office bearers. Feed the flock. Feed the sheep. And you remember that when Jesus said that to Peter back at the end of the book of John, one of the times he said it, he didn't say feed my sheep, but he says specifically, feed my lambs. Don't forget the little ones. And that's in view here, too. And the office bearer's calling, and the elders' calling, maybe especially, is to ensure that the little ones are fed the word of God from their youth up to feed the flock. Second, the calling of under shepherds is a calling of oversight, taking the oversight thereof, verse 2, isn't that part of the work of shepherds in the Bible times to ensure that the flock is fed, but then overseeing the flock, watching over them examining them, ensuring that dangers and threats to them are kept at bay, seeing if there's issues in the flock, and working to resolve those issues, if there's troubles, if there's needs that need to be healed, leading that flock into the path down which it must go. So too, elders especially, but deacons with them, they are to oversee the flock, be guardians, protectors, leaders, it means ensuring that the flock is walking down a right path together through the midst of this world. They're like Moses and Aaron leading the Israelites through the wilderness. Not at their own whim or discretion, but Moses and Aaron were following that pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. This is what office bearers are doing. They're leading this flock through the wilderness, following God Himself in His Word. That's their goal. And that they must do. This way, flock. This way. Ensuring that all things are done according to the pure Word of Jehovah God. Not swerving to the right or to the left. It means... Taking the oversight thereof means warning the sheep of threats, of dangers that would come upon them. That means knowing the flock. It's not without significance that the Apostle Peter says in the text, the elders that are among you I exhort. And then he, referring to the flock, says this flock out of which you have come, the flock among you, Elders come right out of the midst of the congregation. Deacons do too. And they stay, as it were, even though they're in this office, among the congregation. They are to know this flock best they can. Know the dangers, the threats, to us as a whole, to us as individual families and individuals so that they might take oversight, so that they might come in family visitation knowing something about our home and maybe the things that we might be tempted by, taking it up in their own individual conversations with us. In the back of their mind is running the needs of this particular person or the needs of this particular family and the needs of the whole congregation, taking the oversight thereof. Of course, that includes also the official work of church discipline taking the oversight thereof and ministering that third mark of the church when necessary. Elders, don't forget the call of God in Ezekiel 33, verse 6. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his own iniquity, But his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. The calling of elders in the church is also to blow the trumpet, to issue the warning. You are under threat here from the devil himself. You are under threat here from your own rebellious nature. I must warn you, I don't take any pleasure in coming to you to tell you this, to bring the word to you this way. But I have to. I'm constrained for love's sake to you because I care for you and I cannot watch you walk in this way without saying something to you. I blow the trumpet. A sword is coming upon you. And if for fear, we don't. Their blood will I require at the hand of the watchman who did not blow the trumpet. When the Lord Christ returns on the clouds of glory, there will be the question with respect to our offices, did you shepherd them? Not perfectly, not sinlessly, but was this your goal, in sincerity, to shepherd them, to feed them, and to take the oversight over them? Did you do that? the best of your ability as a reflection of me, as I would shepherd them because at the end of the day Christ himself is shepherding his flock through his office bearers. It's quite striking that the words that the Apostle Peter uses here, feed and take oversight, are the same words that he uses of Christ himself a couple of chapters back in chapter 2 verse 25. For you were as sheep going astray but are now returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Speaking of Christ, the shepherd, that's the exact same word translated feed in our text, and the bishop or the overseer of your souls. You see the point he's making. Christ is the great shepherd who does these two things, feeds and takes the oversight thereof, But He does that in part through these men that He has set up to be office bearers in the church. Feed them. Take the oversight over them. This is why Peter calls the office bearers to do this. And yet in verse 4, calls Christ the chief shepherd. When the chief shepherd shall appear, that adds something to this image He's working with. In the Bible times, there would often be what was called a chief shepherd or a head shepherd. And he would have more than one flock for which he's responsible. And there would be under shepherds, under him, who would carry out his will in shepherding the individual flocks. He was the chief shepherd. They were the under shepherds. And Peter is saying that here. Take But I tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. Carry this out. Feed them. Take the oversight thereof. How? With what manner? There's a specific way to do this. And the apostle is at pains to point this out because sometimes how is just as important as what? He gives the manner in verses 2 and 3 with three contrasts. Not this, but like this. Not like this, but like that. Not like this, but like this. Not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. First, not by constraint, but willingly. Not by compulsion. Not by external force upon you. It doesn't mean you're not nervous as all get out. Or that if you are nervous is all get out. So that you're shaking at first when you get out of the car to make that visit. That that means you're not being willing. If you're not shaking to a certain extent, you don't know the what and have to go back to the first point of the sermon. But it means not having to be forced. To constantly be constrained by an external Pressure upon you to move forward into the work. Having the sense that Christ Himself calls me to do this, however weak and frail I see myself, He has called me and I go forward and do the work willingly. And of course, that speaks to current office bearers to do the work they're called to do. There's some things an office bearer might say, this part is easier for me. And so it's easier to be willing here, and that's true. And there might be other things that are more of a challenge for you. Nonetheless, willing. Not constantly having to be constrained by the other elders saying, you have to do this, brother. You have to do this. But a willingness in your heart in spite of the difficulty. But this also speaks, doesn't it? Not only current office bearers, but to those who have been nominated. Nominated. For office, meets those brothers right where they are this morning. You know who you are. The elders know who you are. Christ knows who you are. I don't know who you are. Others in this congregation don't know who you are. Perhaps you saw that letter. The immediate response is no way, no way. I can't do this. I can't. There's no way. I won't do this. I don't have the time for this. And besides, there's there's troubles. We don't have a pastor. Why would I put myself into that position? so that for you to accept a nomination, it requires constraint, compulsion, and then even then maybe not. Not by constraint, but willingly. Isn't that precisely the question that is put to us in a nomination letter? Is it not asking us, brother, are you willing? You may be elected, you may not. We don't know. But brother, are you willing? Why would we be unwilling? There are good reasons to say no. There are legitimate reasons to say no. There's also a whole host of bad reasons to say no. And it's very tempting to say no for those host of bad reasons. Don't forget that Christ himself places this upon you in his church and by his providence. And if there are not extenuating circumstances, good reasons, why would you say no? What if Christ was handing you that letter, Himself, personally, and saying to you, My child, are you willing? I'm not guaranteeing that I'm going to call you. Are you willing? Not are you able. Others have judged that you are able. That's not the question. The question is, are you willing? If Christ Himself put that to you, would All of your reasons for no fall away. Of course, it's going to be difficult. Of course, there's going to be opposition. It was difficult for Moses and Aaron and for every office bearer there forward. Life is too meaningful, too serious, and the church of Jesus Christ too important. To slide by without doing hard things for Christ. Life and death are at stake here. This isn't an amusement park. This is the church, the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ walking through the midst of this world constantly under attack. And some are called to be shepherds of that flock. And besides, however hard it might be, however difficult, if elected, the carrying out of that office might become for you, it's absolutely nothing compared to what the great shepherd has undergone for this flock. The Apostle Peter reminds his fellow office bearers, I was witness to the sufferings of Jesus Christ, verse 1. Who am also an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Don't forget that, you know. Peter had it burned into his mind. The face on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you could see it in the flickering light of a torch, under the suffering and the weight in that garden? Did he see the beads of blood coming out of the pores of the Lord Jesus as the weight pressed bloody sweat out of him in that garden? I was witness to the sufferings of Jesus Christ, what he did in bearing the sins of his flock upon himself and taking them away, and no matter what I have to go through, as an apostle, Peter says, and we have to do to care for this flock. It is not that, and it will not be that. He has done that, and He alone can do that. And if He has done that for you as a part of this flock, can you not bear hardship along with all the joys that come from the office for the sake of that same flock? And willingly give yourself To this position for them, no matter what lies ahead that you don't know and can't see. Unless, unless the reason why you are willing is really not because you love this Christ and not because you love this flock, but because you love yourself. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, and really it's in the third one too. Not as lords over God's heritage, but examples to the flock. That is, not motivated by self-seeking as you go into this office, but ready and willing to serve the flock. Some are willing, beloved, but they're willing because they seek the office to stroke their own ego. For pride and for power, maybe over somebody else in the congregation who gets on their nerves and is always trying to one-up them, or maybe over another elder who's not in office right now and seem to uh, hold it over us a little bit, and now I can hold it over them if I'm in this office, you'll discover very quickly that you'll be eaten alive if your motive is anything less, than love for him, and love for the sheep. There's only one way to enter this office, And it's as a servant of that great shepherd Jesus Christ and of the flock he's purchased with his own blood. It's not about you. It's about him. It's not about you. It's about them. Remember, that in the back of Peter's mind as he writes this by inspiration is that event with the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to him Simon son of Jonas lovest thou me Simon son of Jonas lovest thou me Simon son of Jonas lovest thou me Feed my sheep. He didn't say to him, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love power? Because if you love power, then I have a position for you. Let me sell you this. Simon, son of Jonas, is control really the thing that gets your boat going? Well, then I got a place for you in the church of Jesus Christ. Do you love me? Do you love me? If that's not behind the willingness, not sinlessly, but if that's not behind the willingness, then current officer, submit your resignation in about 20 minutes. And if that's not your motivation, for your willingness, those nominated, then say no. But if it is, I'm willing. I'm willing. Not lording it over the flock, but as examples. Coming in for power, not willing then to be corrected, not willing to hear the other elders, other office bearers, deacons to speak. The under shepherd has real authority and may not give up that authority, has to take up that authority. It's given to him and he must not let it go and yet must carry that authority with service to him and service to the sheep in a humble manner. Leading, therefore, by example, not saying, Do what I say, not what I do, but I'll show you why doctrine matters in the way I live my life. I'll show you why godliness matters in the way that I live my life. And understanding that the example will command respect from other office bearers and from the people in the church too—a humble manner, brothers. We have families. Many of us have a a job to attend to to supply daily needs. It's not easy. We go from work to meetings, meetings to work, grab a bite to eat as you head out the door to do family visitation. And those who are nominated, there's no hiding of this fact. It's not easy. What a joy! serve the king in this way. What a joy to serve his flock this way. What a joy to do this work with others in the office. What a joy the very work itself is, though it isn't easy. And what a joy is knowing that when you come to glory, God has used you To bring his people safely through this wilderness to heaven itself. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The apostle is not talking about the crown of glory that is eternal life itself. That is heaven itself that is spoken of throughout the Scriptures. This is something different. This phrase, crown of glory, is not used anywhere else in the New Testament except here. This is something unique. It's what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says to the Philippians, you are my brethren dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown and to the Thessalonians, for what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? Are not you our crown of joy and glory? And that's what the Apostle Peter is speaking of here. The crown of glory is not a physical crown. It's the very fact that the sheep themselves are kept safe. It's the very fact that they are presented before the Lord Jesus Christ on that last day and enter into heaven itself having safely passed through this wilderness. And that that Christ, the great shepherd, who is responsible for their safe passage and who has accomplished their safe passage has also used you in some small way to bring them safely home. That's a crown of glory that fades not away because there you see them in heaven and know that the Lord used you in their life, never thinking, I did this, I preserved them. Absolutely not. But that the shepherd used you in this person's life, in that person's life, to bring them home. What a joy. Labor, brothers, in office, and those who will be in office, Lord willing, for that joy in the service of this King and the service of this flock. Amen. Gracious God, bless the proclamation of Thy Word to our hearts this morning.